Well, good morning. Uh, this time of year, Thanksgiving, we've been talking about it for a couple weeks now because it takes a while to plan for all that food. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we, we take a, a moment, don't we, to set aside a time to give thanks for all that we have in our lives. And we give thanks for family, we give thanks for food, we give thanks for rest. Um, you know, Jacob was with us this week and we were able to just have time as a family and just, well, just sit around and do not a lot of anything. Uh, there's praise that uh, Alabama Crimson Tide won, thank goodness. But, uh, um, you know, it was just a nice time to be together. Uh, and we're certainly thankful for so many other things in our lives. And what, an, what a great time of year to do this uh, right before we celebrate the birth of our Savior in December. And, you know, uh, one of the things that, uh, that I am very much grateful for is this church body and um, these opportunities that don't seem like opportunities when you're standing up here, but it is an opportunity for me to grow personally. Um, so I appreciate, uh, I appreciate that. I also appreciate, uh, we just came through, I was teaching a Sunday school lesson uh, this fall. On, on the life of Paul, and from start to finish, from being born in Tarsus to being martyred in Rome. And um, as you do that, it takes a lot of, of time, and, and you start to see these parallels in the book of Acts of things going on, and you start to think, man, there's something going on here, isn't there? This isn't just one great person that decided to do one great thing. This is the Holy Spirit moving across its people and using people to do it. Um, today, we're going to learn about the stone that was heard around the world. Uh, you've heard about the shot fired, shot heard around the world. Well, today, we're going to talk about the stone that is heard around the world. And so, uh, if you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, go ahead and go to Acts chapter 7, starting in verse 51. That's a pretty long chapter, isn't it? Um, I'm going to go ahead and read that, and, and we're going to get started. Starting in verse 51, this is Stephen uh, talking. Uh, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. This is not a way to make friends and influence people. Um, but it needed to be said at the time. Following on verse 54. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged. And they ground their teeth at him. But he, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. This would have been another slap in the face to the, to the leaders of the synagogue. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. 
And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, Stephen, he cried out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against him. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And we never hear from Stephen again in the book of Acts. We rarely hear, we don't hear of Stephen much before this event in the book of Acts. Um, and uh, just as a side note, when I was going through and reading this and all the commentators on this, they said, you know, the book of Acts, as you know, was written by Luke, but uh, Luke is relying on witnesses when he, write, when he writes these parts where he was, not, he was not there. So consider this, Luke's primary source probably for this is Saul, is Paul, right? He knew Paul, he traveled with Paul. He followed Paul. Who else would he have gone to and asked about what happened? Other than the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Thank you, Ryan. Uh, So to understand what happened here and to understand it in the bigger picture, we need to go back a little while and understand uh, what's going on in and around Jerusalem. This is not an isolated event. So um, this is probably, we don't have the exact timeline But this is probably takes place within a year, perhaps up to possibly two years after Christ is crucified on the cross, buried, praise the Lord, resurrected from the dead, seen by hundreds of people in his resurrected body before he ascends into heaven. And what are the commands? You might recall the very end of Luke. Uh, Acts picks up right after the end of Luke. And, and Jesus is talking, and he says, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are my witness of these things, Jesus said, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Now, you would be excused uh, if you thought, well, okay, that's an incredible sacrifice, but after all, he was the Son of God. Uh, he was also in human form and suffered immensely for us on that cross. Um, but I think that sometimes we look at that and we go, well, yeah, but he was the Son of God, so he knew it was going to happen, and he was planned for it, and you know, he is the Son of God, so he ascended into heaven. He was resurrected. Um, that's, that's a wonderful sacrifice. Um, you know what? There were a few more sacrifices after Jesus's, weren't there? Uh, we know when Christ, and, and he says, stay in the city until you are clothed with power on high. Well, that power on a high arrived pretty quick, didn't it? It came on Pentecost. We know that the day of Pentecost arrived. They were all gathered around. The earth shook. The sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house, and divided tongues of fire appeared on them, and the Holy Spirit descended. What an just miraculous day. 3,000 people turned to Jesus on one day. 3,000. That is truly the beginning. Jesus had a reason. He told them, stay in Jerusalem until I send you help. Well, the power has come. The help has come, hasn't it? And we continue to read right after that 
if you put the Bible down at that point and don't read on, you have missed the fastest story ever told because people start getting saved every single day, over and over. It says, the Lord added to their numbers day by day. It says, when they had prayed, they were, able, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. Many signs and wonders. People are doing miracles. Christians are doing miracles. Signs are being given. This is not Jesus doing this. This is the Holy Spirit doing this through ordinary, everyday Christians like you and me that have been filled with the Holy Spirit, and they are doing miracles. They are preaching the Word of God, the Word of Jesus Christ, boldly in the streets, and they continue to grow. And we know the story, right? They start coming in from outside Jerusalem. They start coming to Jerusalem. They're selling their houses. They're quitting their jobs. They're giving all their money to the, to the church so that the church can thrive in its early days and it can continue to expand and expand in and around the Jerusalem area. And this just keeps going on um, for a little while. And praise God, the gospel at that point, just as Jesus said, his first has been sent to the Jews at that point. By this time, shortly after Pentecost, there are thousands upon thousands of Jews that have been converted and accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and been baptized in Him, and they are excited about it, and they are spreading the word. The, the, the Sanhedrin thought they were going to stamp out this little sect that liked Jesus more than they liked Him, more than they liked them, and they said, called them heretics, and they said, you know what, we're just going to kill the guy, and that'll be all. Well, how'd that work out for them? Not very well. It went from a small little group of ragtag believers into probably more than 10,000 believers just in the city of Jerusalem as they tried to stamp it out by, by taking Jesus' life. The only problem is it was ordained that he was going to rise from the dead, and sure enough, he did. So they have killed, they have murdered their Messiah, and... It doesn't matter. The Holy Spirit is going to make it happen regardless. During the sacrifice, as I said, um, within two years, thousands of these Jews are converted into Christianity. One of them stands ready to change the world. So what do we know about Stephen before we get into what happened to him? Well, we actually don't know a lot about Stephen at all. Like many of the people in the Bible, we don't even know his last name. We don't know his parents' names. We don't know where he was born. We don't know his education. Um, that's okay. We do know he was a convert to Christianity, maybe on Pentecost or shortly thereafter. Uh, but he's certainly a Christian. We know that he's very knowledgeable in the Old Testament and in the Torah, uh, what we refer to as the Old Testament largely. Uh, we'll see that in just a little bit. We know that... Stephen is one of seven men that are described of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, who are appointed by the apostles to oversee the daily distribution to the widows. So Stephen is one of the first deacons in the church in Jerusalem, along with six others. Uh, we know that he is a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. We know that, and I just, you know, when I wrote that down, I thought, 
I'd kind of like that to be on my grade marker someday. I mean, if, if everybody forgot everything I did, but they said he was a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, I'll take it. I'll take it. Um, we know that the apostles prayed and laid hands on Stephen because they prayed and laid hands on all seven of the deacons. Uh, we know, again, that he was full of grace and power and was doing great wonders and signs among the people. And we know that at least at one point, when he was before the Sanhedrin testifying, it says, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel, at least at that point in time. Um, is there any doubt that Stephen was filled with the Holy Spirit at this time? I don't think so. Um, and so it begins. Stephen was doing great wonders and signs, as we just talked about. What is that? It's miracles. He's likely healing people. He's healing sick people. Um, he's, there's, there's signs going on. Uh, this is the same wording that you see from Luke many times during Acts when he talks about Paul and, and everything else and Peter later on, things going on. He says signs and miracles are going on. These are not signs and miracles. Again, you may be excused for thinking that Jesus performed signs and miracles because, well, he was the Son of God and he had special power. These are ordinary, everyday Christians filled by the Holy Spirit that have been given the power by the Holy Spirit, not by themselves, to perform signs and miracles. Um, some in the synagogue got tired of this because, frankly, he was healing these people and doing these signs in the name of Jesus Christ. And then he proceeded to explain to them who Jesus Christ was and that he was the fulfillment of Scripture and that he was the Messiah you know, the one that you just killed uh, that was resurrected from the dead. Um, oh, it says that some in the synagogue opposed him on, his, on theological grounds, but were not able to withstand his wisdom, which means they lost the argument, uh, which means that he was very uh, well-educated on the Torah and the Old Testament and able to describe to them what was going on. They just didn't like it. They just didn't like the answer. So after you give up the common sense and the good reason, what do you do? Well, if that's not going to work, we're just going to go find some false witnesses who accused him of speaking blasphemous words against Moses and God. So when all else fails, we'll just scream that you're a liar, we'll get some people to back us up, and we'll just rouse up the mob, right? We'll, we'll get, the, we'll get the, crowd, the mob going crazy. Uh, it says he was arrested and accused before the council. Their only accusation, does, does this start to sound familiar, this story? Their only accusation was that he said Jesus would destroy the temple and, and change the customs of Moses. That's, their, that's, that's what they're accusing him of. So he hasn't done anything, but again, here we are with another illegal court, uh, or yeah, court, where they're just going to bring him up on trumped up charges. Again, this sounds very familiar. Um, Stephen, because he is now in front of, he's been arrested, and he's in front of the chief priest, where we just read what he said to them, he's given the opportunity to defend himself, right? This is, hey, we've got a court here. Let's, let's give the defendant an opportunity to say, no, he didn't do these things. Well, what exactly did he do anyways? But that's another story. Um, and rather, Stephen, rather than defend his actions or open the book of the law and try to say, your honor, I am not guilty, they have not proven this, um, and, and, he start, and, and try to defend himself, what does he do? Uh, in his sermon, 
which is recorded in the book of Acts just before the verses that we just looked at. Uh, it's the longest sermon recorded in the book of Acts. Stephen lays out the history of the Jewish people. Again, getting back to G, uh, Stephen knows the Torah. He knows the Old Testament. He lays it out for them their re- and, the, and the Jewish people's rebellion against Moses and the prophets. And, he offer, and, and, and he's going to take it one step further and he's going to say, not only did your fathers and grandfathers get it wrong, you got it wrong. You got it wrong. The Messiah was sent to you what did you do? You killed him. Great work, guys. You're really good. You are the keepers of the faith. You did not recognize the Messiah. And of course, we get back to, I love this, you stiff-necked people. You always resist the Holy Spirit. This is, this is a major insult, right? This is, this is frankly, Stephen standing, you know, standing before the Pope of the church, if you will, right? and saying, you stiff-necked pope, you don't know what you're talking about, you killed the Messiah, uh, you don't even know what the Holy Spirit is. This is, this is fighting words. Um, Stephen does this because he knows he's right. He's read the Old Testament. He knew the prophecies. He recognized the Messiah. This was not heresy to him, and this was not, did not come as a surprise to him. He knew what he was talking about was right. It was just a fulfillment of the scriptures that he was brought up on all his life, and he tells them they betrayed the righteous one and murdered him. Well, this doesn't go over well. So again, uh, just right back to where we were. So now we kind of understand where where we got to where we're at. Uh, They were enraged by these accusations. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, says, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. So he has just placed Jesus, the one that they murdered, standing at the right hand of God. He's put him on par with God. If there was any doubt up to this point, which I don't think there was, uh, they take him outside arbitrarily. They just say, I've heard enough. We find you guilty. We're going to take you outside the city gates and we're going to stone you to death right now. There's no reason for a trial. There's no reason to go to the Romans, which, all, by the way, they were required to do if they were going to use capital punishment. Um, but they just ignore all of that. And they say, well, we've heard enough. You know what? We're just going to mete out punishment. And they stone him. And a witness laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul, which I think we all know how important that is, who's coming up after that. And as they were stoning Stephen, as we read, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Lord, do not hold this sin against him. And he's stoned to death. This is an average, ordinary Christian filled by the Holy Spirit like you and me. And he's just been stoned to death without a trial for proclaiming Christ crucified. This is not the Son of Man. This is not some magical guy that has extra powers. This is an average Christian, just like you and me, who has accepted Christ, preached the word, performed miracles, and been stoned to death. And that's the last time we will hear his name in the Bible, but it is not the end of Stephen's sacrifice. But the very next verse, 
it's funny when you read this as, as the way it's laid out in our Bible because it's by chapter and verse, right? And you get to the end of the chapter and it says, and he fell asleep and you turn the page to the next chapter and you have maybe the second shortest verse in the Bible. It says, and a Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles, which remained in Jerusalem. I think it's funny that Luke says that, because what Luke says is that this isn't all being guided by, by men uh, with puppets, you know, a couple of apostles at the top. This is the Christian church being led by the Holy Spirit, doing what is intended. Paul, as we know, uh, by the way, uh, I bring this up in my Sunday school class because I learned it. How many of you think Paul's name was changed from Saul to Paul, like Peter's was? Is it most the, I thought that. Some in my class thought that. It's the same name. So Saul is the Hebrew form of the name Paul. So it is not a name change. It is the same name. Uh, so you'll probably not remember anything else in my sermon, but you'll now remember that Paul's name was not changed like Peter's. It's the same name. So Luke just, when, when he's ministering to the Hebrews and to the Jews, Luke uses the name Saul. But when he starts ministering to the Gentiles, Luke changes using the name Paul, the Greek form of his name. Uh, so there you go. That's the, the sermon's over. Um, so uh, Paul, as we know, is the chief instigator of this massive wave of persecution, all brought on by the stoning of Stephen. It has come to a head with the stoning of Stephen and his sacrifice for us. And now Paul is ravaging the church in Jerusalem. He is literally going door to door looking for these Christians that basically had just built up in numbers again after Pentecost. And the, and the Sanhedrin has gotten tired of them, frankly, right? So we tried it before. We, lopped, you know, we, we, we crucified their leader, Jesus. We thought it was going to go away. It didn't. It started to grow again. I know, since it didn't work the first time, let's kill another one of them. So they kill Stephen, they stone Stephen, and now they say, but now we're going to follow up on this, because the last time we only killed one of them, so now we're going to start with another one of them who's making waves in the temple, we're going to stone him, and now we're going to send people out, and they're going to ravage this church body, and we're going to stamp this out once and for all. Um, we know that... Uh, Paul freely admits to this later in Acts. He says, I was the worst of them. I approved. Paul was in on this. He knew about it. But he, keep in mind, Paul thought at that time he was not a Christian. He thought what he was doing was God's work, right? Paul was very learned in the Old Testament. Um, he, he was tutored under Gamel in the Sanhedrin, in the, in the temple. He knew what he was seeing. He, he 100% knew in his heart that this, you know, they didn't call themselves Christians, right? They called themselves the way. To them, they were just a splinter group of, of this uh, rogue rabbi, Jesus. And he says, I'm going to stamp this out once and for all because I will not tolerate people um, telling lies about the Old Testament. So Paul takes, you know, goes to the Sanhedrin and says, give me the authority. I'm going to stamp this out, right? And he ravages the church and he arrests them. He throws them in jail. He gives testimony against them. Um, and what is this cause? What would you do? There's 10,000 of you, give or take, in Jerusalem, and you hear that they're going door to door after they just stoned 
one of you to death. They're going door to door and arresting you. They spread out. They, they get out of Jerusalem. Remember, Jesus said, stay in Jerusalem until I send you help. He sent them help. He sent them the Holy Spirit, didn't he? The, the sacrifice, the personal sacrifice of, St- of Stephen causes them to realize the help is here. The time is now. We are out of here. And now the story picks up speed. You have this funky word called the diaspora that happens among the Christians. It's one of those words where you go, I think think I know what that means. It must mean disperse of something, but I've never heard of that word before until you read it in the Bible, or at least I hadn't. And that's exactly what it is. It is the dispersion of a group of people, a people group. Sometimes we heard them called to as people group. People groups that, that live together in one location. In this case, in Jerusalem, it is Christians that are living together um, and they disperse. That's all it is. So it's a, it's a fancy name for saying that, that the Christian community dispersed throughout the Arabian Peninsula to avoid the persecution that's going on um, immediately after Stephen was stoned. So exactly what happened after they tried to stamp out Christianity by crucifying Christ, and that led to thousands of Jews accepting Christ, is happening again. I do not think this is what they intended to happen. Uh, I think that this is, is wonderful and a miraculous event in the Holy Spirit moving in the Christian community. Um, now make no, let's, let's, not, let's not kid ourselves. We don't hear about it in the Bible, but we know that thousands of these Christians in Jerusalem were arrested and thrown in jail or worse. Um, we don't hear a lot about, we don't hear anything about what happens to them afterwards. But those who can get out and are led by the Holy Spirit, they go in every direction that you could ever conceive, and they take their Christianity with them. So let's talk about a few of of what happens, and and you can see the Holy Spirit move in this dispersal. Philip, who is another one of the deacons, one of the seven, that when Stephen was, was laid hands on and they prayed on, Philip was one of those seven that was made a deacon. Um, these deacons, they didn't listen very good, by the way. Uh, you'll remember what was the whole reason for them becoming deacons. It was to take care of the widows. There is no record in the Bible of Stephen taking care of any widows. Stephen goes out and proclaims the name of Jesus in the temple uh, and starts performing miracles. Now, Philip is right behind him. Philip says, I'm leaving Jerusalem, and I'm going to Samaria. Oh, I'm not going to another nice area that I, that I can relax and, and maybe retire or hide myself. No. Philip is led by the Holy Spirit into Samaria, which we would know today as the West Bank. Uh, when I say up here that pro- Philip proclaims Christ in Israel, what I mean is the geographic boundaries of what we know today as Israel, if you, if you think of it that way. Um, Philip goes into Samaria, where he is most certainly not welcome. Uh, and proclaims Christ crucified. And what do we see happening? Now the Holy Spirit is on fire and rolling. Um, Many believed and were baptized, including Simon the Magician, who, by the way, is probably part of a Jewish sect of magicians. Yes, there actually is one of those. uh, Back in that time, because we know that in Paul, when Paul is on Cyprus, 
he comes upon one of these uh, magicians as well. And Paul has no time. We, we learned uh, by studying Paul that if you get in Paul's way when he's preaching the gospel, he will remove you. And so he blinded that magician at that time so that he would just go away. Um, but in this case, the magician, who they're all looking up to as their spiritual leader because he's doing magic and, and oh, this man is something special, even he turns to the Lord. Um, and we read about him. Now, he doesn't exactly uh, offer a stellar performance as a Christian because he tries to buy his way into uh, grace. But nonetheless, he sees what's going on and he recognizes that, that Philip and what's happening with Philip is much greater than he and he, and he turns to the Lord. And we see this is such a big deal of what's going on in Samaria that Peter and John say, we're going to go help Philip and find out what's going on in Samaria. And, it, and the Bible tells us that they laid hands on those who were baptized and the Holy Spirit descended on them. Um, a little later on, Philip now is called to southern Israel, as we know it, and it's set, and down towards Gaza. If you look at the if you look at everything that's going on in the events today, you might recall Gaza is all the way down in the extreme southwest portion of, of Israel. Um, and he's on his he's on a road to Gaza, if you will, and he runs into an Ethiopian. You remember this story in the Bible? The Ethiopian is reading the, the scrolls, he's reading from Isaiah, but he doesn't understand them. And Philip's like, hey, what are you doing? And he's like, well, I'm trying to read these scrolls, but I don't understand them. And Philip says, well, let me help you understand them. And what does Philip do? He lays out the, the case for Christ to this Egyptian eunuch who is, uh, what did we call him? A court official of the queen of Ethiopia. This is, this is an educated, knowledgeable person held in high regard. He's on his way back to Ethiopia, minding his own business, and the Holy Spirit puts Philip in his path. Philip preaches the gospel the eunuch is so excited about this that as they pass a lake, he's like, I want to be baptized right now. And so Philip's like, sure, let's go into the water. He baptizes him. And now that Ethiopian goes back to Ethiopia on his way with the gospel. And now the gospel's going into Africa and going into Ethiopia. Uh, the gospel is spreading like wildfire. The Bible tells us just as Philip baptizes the eunuch, the Holy Spirit takes him and carries him away to Azotos, um, which uh, you would, if you looked at a map today, would be the town of Ashdod, just north of Gaza. So the same area. The, the Holy Spirit has taken Philip out of Jerusalem, first north, west, now down to the south, and he's spreading the gospel everywhere he goes, and people are being saved and baptized um, as a result of the persecution that came as a result of one man's stand for the faith and his stoning. Um, it says then that Philip shares the gospel in every city between Ashdod and Caesarea, which is all the way up the coast of Israel, about 70 miles up the coast to Caesarea. Between there, those two cities lie, it's a little small town you might have heard of, Tel Aviv, uh, which would have been Joppa back then, and a bunch of other cities, and people just continue to be saved. Now, Peter says, it's my turn. I came out of Jerusalem. I, I've left Jerusalem now because we've been given the Holy Spirit. Remember, he went into Samaria to help uh, Philip 
with John, um, we hear that Peter is given the Holy Spirit, given the power to um, heal Aeneas in Lydia, which Lydda, 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 which is just outside of Tel Aviv. Um, and then uh, we hear that uh, Dorcas, who's another translation of her name is Tabitha, um, in Joppa, which is Tel Aviv, has died. Uh, Dorcas was a woman full, of, told to us as a woman full of good works and charity who fell ill and died. That's all we know of her in the entire New Testament um, that I'm aware of. Uh, Peter prayed over her and rose her from the dead. Holy cow. If that's not signs and wonders, uh, I would be, you know, if, if you raise somebody from the dead in front of me, I'm going to pay attention. Uh, Peter clearly is moved by the same Holy Spirit. Um, and, but we've only been going to the Jews so far. We're just getting into the Jewish population of Israel. Uh, but now, the Holy Spirit says, I'm ready to roll, baby. We're rolling. Uh, Peter it has a vision about food, which I think is, if you're going to have a vision, is a great idea, um, especially at Thanksgiving. Peter has a vision about eating unclean food, unclean meat, and, and the vision is that it's okay now to eat that food, if you recall. At the same time that Peter's having that vision, which is really about the Gentiles, isn't it? It's about, it's about letting loose from the law and that it's okay to eat with unclean people and eat unclean food, right? At the exact same time, Cornelius is having a vision from God. Cornelius isn't even a Jew. He's a God-fearer, which are, which are Greeks and Romans that have given up worshiping all those millions of little gods, and they've become monotheistic, and they worship the, the God of the Jews. So maybe they worship with them in the temple, and they believe in God. Um, and so Cornelius has a vision at the same time Peter does that says, I want you, you need to go into Joppa, you need to get Peter and bring him to your house. So, so, so Peter, they go to Peter, who's, who shows up and goes, hey, this Roman centurion, Cornelius, this Roman guard, wants you to come eat with him. I'd be a little worried. I'd, I'd be a little worried if I, were, if I were a Christian and I were filled with it. And I just saw what happened in the persecution that's going on. And now this guy shows up and says, I want you to come to my house. Um, he goes to his house, and he sits down, and he eats with Gentiles, uh, which is unheard of. Can you imagine? Can you, can you imagine what's going on here? This is Peter. This is the apostle who walked with Christ. And he, is, and he for sure knows his Old Testament and what he's doing. But, he, but the Holy Spirit has led him, and he is eating with a Gentile. Not only is he eating with a Gentile, he's now sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with everybody in that area, and what do we find out? The whole, the, the, he preaches the gospel of Christ crucified and resurrected. The Holy Spirit falls upon all who hear his voice, including the Gentiles. So we have the first time where the Holy Spirit is now going to the Gentiles. Um, and they are baptized into the name of Jesus Christ. Folks, it doesn't get any quicker and more uh, fun to read about than this. It says that this diaspora went uh, all from, from Jerusalem as far as Phoenicia to Cyprus to Syrian Antioch. This is important. 
Uh, Phoenicia, which is what we would think of today as, as modern-day Lebanon, right? You think of that on the north side of Israel. Um, these are not small distances, okay? There are no cars, trains, and, 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 and airplanes, right? You walk where you go, okay? Or you take a boat. But if you're in the middle of Israel, there's not many boats, so you walk. Um, it went as far as Syrian Antioch, which is 300 miles north of Jerusalem. That is a one-month trip. That's three to four weeks by foot uh, that, that, that Christians, when they, when they spread out, are getting away from Jerusalem. Uh, and we know that a church starts in Syrian Antioch with no help from any famous apostle or person that we know of in the Bible. It's everyday Christians that are spreading the word wherever they go, and churches are popping up. This one happens to be bigger than most of them. Uh, and we're going to hear a little bit more about it in just a minute. Now, while all of that's going on, Paul is continuing to persecute the church. He decides, not only am I going to persecute people in Jerusalem, I'm going to go to Syria and, and persecute people there. And I'm going to arrest people in Syria, and I'm going to bring them back and, and put, them for, put them up for trial. Um, this, is, this is unheard of. So it's not, I mean, there were thousands of Jews in, in, in and around Jerusalem but, but Paul is, is spreading out with the diaspora. He's trying to capture the ones that, that got away, so to speak, right? He is intent on stamping this religion out. Um, Paul, as we all know, is on his way to Damascus, and Jesus stops him in his tracks. Praise the Lord. Jesus has had enough. The Holy Spirit has had enough. Paul, what are you doing, brother? I know you think you're doing this, to make me happy, you're not making me happy. Stop it. And of course, we know that Paul is, um, receives Christ, accepts Christ, recognizes him, and is baptized in Damascus. So Paul is baptized by one of the Christians that he was going to arrest and bring back. Ananias. How do you like to be Ananias when Ananias has a vision from God that says, I want you to go baptize the guy that's coming to arrest you? Yeah. Who's, who's signing up for that one? Um, so Paul, what does Paul do? Paul knows now, his eyes have been opened, uh, literally and, and figuratively, to the gospel, and he realizes that he was wrong, and now it makes sense to him. And he realizes that this is the fulfillment of the scripture that, he's been, that, that he learned all his life. So now he wants to go tell the Jews, you're wrong, stop this, stop what you're doing. Do you not understand what you're doing? This is just like Stephen. The, 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 the gospel wasn't some weird thing. They knew. It's like, this is the Messiah, right? To them, it was not heresy. To them, it wasn't anything uh, out of the ordinary. It was a fulfillment of their scripture. Immediately upon being baptized, Paul starts spreading the gospel just like all these other people that have moved out of Jerusalem. Um, he stays in and around Arabia for about two years preaching in, in Syria and Jordan, Lebanon, that area. He finally decides, I need to go back to Jerusalem and tell the Jews there that sent me. So about two years after he left Jerusalem, he comes back and he goes to, into, the, into the synagogue and he lays this all out. I don't know what he was expecting, um, but they, would have none, they were hearing none of this. They're like, hey, you've just gone over to the dark side, pal. I don't know what happened to you in that two years in Syria, but we are not amused and we don't, we don't know what you're talking about, um, we're going to whack you just like we whacked the last guy, right? Um, the church 
hears what's going on, gets Paul out of there. Paul has a vision where, where Jesus tells him, stop preaching to, the, to Jerusalem. I'm sending you to the Gentiles. I'm sending you to, uh, and, and Paul's like, so I'm about ready to be killed. Now you're going to send me to the people that, that I was going to kill. I mean, this, this doesn't get better for Paul, right? It's just a, a change of geography. So they get Paul out of Jerusalem, move him back to Tarsus, which is the city that he was born in. So he's well aware of Tarsus. That's in southern Turkey today. It would have been in Syria at the time. Uh, and what does Paul do? Paul just does what he always does. He starts spreading the gospel in and around Tarsus and that area, which would have been called Cilicia back then. Uh, so remember that church in Syria and Antioch. So that church in Syria and Antioch has gotten so big that the church in Jerusalem says we need to send people down there to shepherd them and explain, you know, help them with Christianity and help them along in their walk. So they send Barnabas down there to try and, and, and be a preacher, if you will, a pastor of the church. It's too much for Barnabas to handle. He knows Paul is in the area. So he calls Paul, and he says, Paul, can you come down here to Syrian Antioch and help me with this huge church and help me you know, kind of get it all under control and, and share the gospel? He does. That church continues to grow, and that church that was built out of some no-name Christian that we don't even know about, we don't know exactly when that church was built, we don't know who the name of the, of the elders were or, or anything like that. We know it's not one of the apostles. Um, that church grows big enough that it now says, we're going to open up missions. We believe in missions. We are going to send Paul and Barnabas out into the unreached people groups to, to uh, bring the gospel to the unreached. So for 10 years, that church is the sending church of Paul as he goes on his three missionary journeys throughout Turkey, Macedonia, Greece, Cyprus, all those areas around there, sharing the gospel from that church that was formed after the uh, stoning of Stephen and due to the persecution when everybody just went in all different directions. Within, 30 year, within 20 to 30 years of Stephen's stoning, you now have two people who sacrificed their life for the, Christ, for the church. The first one being Jesus, crucified on the cross, resurrected, praise the Lord, our Messiah, ascends into heaven, brings the, sends the Holy Spirit to help us. Remember, 3,000 converts in one day. Our baptismal will not hold that, so if 3,000 people come through the door today, I'm going to need some help up here. Um, through the, through the pulling of resources, this church body grows out of one man's personal sacrifice, the Son of God, and, the, and through his personal sacrifice, the gospel has, has been brought to the Jews. Right behind him, one of those who are converted because of Jesus' sacrifice is sacrif himself sacrificed for preaching the gospel and through Stephen's stoning and all that happens after it, and the Holy Spirit that came through Stephen and sent out, now the Gentiles have the gospel, and the story is complete. Through the personal sacrifice, just like it's told in the Bible, the gospel is going to be shared first with the Jews and then with the Gentiles. Within 20 to 30 years, 25 to 30 years of the stoning of Jesus, the entire Mediterranean has heard the gospel message. Praise the Lord. Basically, the entire Roman Empire 
They are using the roads of the Roman Empire. They're using the fact that Paul is a Roman citizen and other things. But oh yeah, by the way, they're really using the Holy Spirit. If you read the story of Paul and you read the story of Acts, it's not about those. It's about individuals that accepted Christ just like you and me and were filled with the Holy Spirit uh, and, you know, excuse the term, but got up off their bums and went and did something with that Holy Spirit and spread it through the world. Within 25 years, all these places that we read about in the, in the Bible, Samaria, Caesarea, Philippi, Thessalonica, Corinth, Ephesus, all these cities. By the way, do you see the red dots up there? The red dots are the seven churches that, that John mentions in Revelation. All in this area that is a result of the Holy Spirit working in believers after Stephen is sacrificed and stoned. That stone that killed Jesus, excuse me, that stone that killed Stephen is being heard around the world. It kick-started all of this. It didn't end there. The stone is still being heard. The push to the Gentiles is still being heard. Just to give you an idea, Stephen, Christ was, was uh, crucified, resurrected. The Holy Spirit came sometime around 31 AD. Now, these dates are all debatable, but more or less, 31, let's call it 31 AD. Let's call it 32 AD when Stephen, full, full of the Holy Spirit, is preaching, and he gets stoned to death. And everybody in the next few years just scatters out of Jerusalem exactly what Christ said was going to happen. He even told them, stay in Jerusalem until you get help. And help arrives, and they scatter. By the year 57, so that's what, 20 years later, Paul is wrapping up his third missionary journey. By the year 66, Peter and Paul uh, are martyred by Nero in Rome. Uh, and keep in mind that it's going to be another 285 years, give or take, after the death and resurrection of Jesus before it's even considered to be legal to be a Christian. So in 313 AD, Constantine, Roman emperor, decrees Christianity legal, and he makes it the official religion of the Roman Empire. Up to that point, if you stood in a court of law and they asked you if you were a Christian and you said yes, it was the death sentence if they chose to carry it out. Um, and they did carry it out. And they continued to carry it out after Peter and Paul got caught up in the first um, of the, of the uh, uh, under Nero. There's nine more of them after that. So, um, yes, this did get carried out. It's not only in the Bible, it's in other historical texts from the same time frame. Um, about 150 years after the Roman Empire, uh, the, after Constantine legalizes Christianity, the Roman Empire finally falls. Uh, just, you know, to throw in some dates here because I love dates and I love to understand. In 1096 is when the Crusades begin and the Church of England starts to send people into the Holy Land to try and take it back and, and try and get to the, the, where these holy places where things happened. So the reason we have a Jerusalem where we can go look at historical artifacts today traces back to the start of, of the... Um, the, the Crusades, right? People preserving those spots. Uh, it's going to be 1,500 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the stoning of Stephen that Martin Luther is going to post his thesis on the church and say, we're not doing things right here, guys. 
And 500 years after that, Craig, it took you a long time. 500 years after that, this church is established. That stone that killed Stephen is still being heard today. The Gospel of Jesus Christ, the same Gospel, the same Gospel that was given to uh, the Jews by Jesus, given to Paul by revelation as he spread it, we know Paul so well out of the New Testament, is still being shared today. Just like we saw last week, it's being shared around the world. Joyson is, well, he's probably out of church now because he's like 15 hours ahead of us, uh, shared the gospel today in India, the exact same gospel that you heard about today. Um, and, And it's being shared, and it will continue to be shared as long as the Holy Spirit moves in believers like you and me who are not afraid to get out there and share the gospel with people that we know to share the gospel by funding missions like we do, to share the gospel with your children as they grow up, to show the gospel with your coworkers, friends, neighbors, anybody that you meet. If you think you're facing persecution and your form of persecution is you share the gospel with somebody and you're afraid they may not like you anymore, well, they're not going to stone you to death, generally speaking, so I think you've got that. I think we need to put in perspective when we say, oh, well, the Christian church, it's not going to be long before we're persecuted again. Really? Really? Let's talk about persecution. What we, what we are encountering is not persecution, folks. If you wonder why the Holy Spirit, if you think, well, the Holy Spirit is not acting in me, I don't feel the Holy Spirit. Well, if you've been baptized and you've professed your faith in Jesus Christ, he sent you the Holy Spirit. If you don't feel it, it ain't Jesus. Jesus didn't break down. The Holy Spirit didn't break down. If you're not sharing the gospel, if, you're, if, the, if the Holy Spirit is not working in you, I think the Holy Spirit says, I'm going to take a break too. I'm not really sure of the theology of that, so we're not going to get into that. Um, but uh, we'll leave that one for Mark. But um, if you can't feel the Holy Spirit working, then I just would suggest to you that like Mary had uh, made me do the other night, we got down on our knees together and we prayed for guidance and direction in the Holy Spirit and in our lives. If you ask and you renew your faith in Jesus Christ um, and the Holy Spirit and ask for the Holy Spirit, it will come upon you. And the same things that those Christian believers were able to do can happen through you, through your faith, as you share the gospel. And so, if you're standing here today, yes? You know, Paul did tell Timothy, man that Holy Spirit in your brain. Yep. We have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to act on the gift that we've been given. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Um, If you haven't received Christ as your Lord and Savior, And what you heard today, you're like, I want some of that. I believe. I believe that Jesus Christ went to the cross for me. That he was crucified, died, buried, like all of us. But oh, by the way, not like all of us. Three days later, he rose again, and he fulfilled the prophecy of the Old Testament. 
And he ascended into heaven where he sits at the right hand of God and he waits for his believers to come live with him in eternal life. That is what the gospel offers you today as a Christian believer, is the offer of eternal life with Christ and God in heaven. It also offers you the opportunity to accept Christ into your life and the Holy Spirit to come into your heart. And you will be able to do the exact same things that these early Christians did. If you act, if you accept Christ, and you act on the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will act in you and use you as a tool to bring others to Christ. Is there anything else more important in your life than sharing the gift of eternal life with Jesus with somebody? I think that we should check ourselves a little bit on that. As Americans, especially, who have so much, I mean, we have lots of things to worry about this time of year. I almost missed a Black Friday sale, okay? Um, those things seem so important at the time. Uh, that, base, that football game that I was watching yesterday uh, seems so important at the time. Ask yourself this. What other thing in life would you be willing to lose your life for? Stephen, who we don't even know his last name, and couldn't have been a Christian more than a year or so, may, let's just say he was saved before Pentecost, couldn't have been a Christian for more than at least maybe two and a half years, uh, gave his life willingly so that others could be saved. Would you do that? As a believer in Christ, would, if, if you knew that... Uh, that sacrificing your life would lead to somebody being saved and being given the gift of eternal life, would you do it? That is a tough question. These early believers whose shoulders we stand on now knew what they were doing. They knew that they could be killed for it. They knew that they were, they knew they were going to be ostracized for it. Any job or, or, or status in society, out the door, right? That was a given. Um, but they were willing to sacrifice all for the gospel. And led by the Holy Spirit, many of them did. And praise the Lord that they did, that we can sit in this church today and talk about the same gospel that they talked about. If you're already a baptized believer and you're looking for a local church body to join, we welcome you here at this church. Or if you would like to ask for prayer, for something going on in your life, then I would invite you to come up as, as Everett sings. Either of the, any of these reasons, please come forward, talk to me, talk to the elders of the church, and we will do all that we can for you.